Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers who will help you gain a greater understanding of Scripture so that it has a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the Staff Minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi everyone, it's great to be with you today, wherever and whenever you are listening. Uh, If you're getting ready for Christmas, I hope that goes well and commend you for taking time to get further acquainted with who Christmas is all about. And I guess if you're not getting ready for Christmas, you better get on the ball because it's it's only a, uh, again, depending on when you listen to this, uh, it's it's, uh, right around the corner. Our guest today and next week is Pastor John Billets from Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel in downtown Madison which is about a 15-minute drive from my house on the southwest side of Madison. Although today I came from, I came from church, so it's about a 20-minute drive from St. Andrew in Middleton. Uh, St. Andrew's just west of Madison on Highway 12, although today it took more than 20 minutes because of construction. So my guest, Pastor John Billets, welcome back to Impact. Thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure to be here, and uh, really the, most, uh, the best pleasure, the greatest pleasure is just uh, sharing ideas about God's word with you and, and chatting about what, what all of this means to us and our salvation. Very good. And uh, so today the plan is to talk with Pastor Billets today and next week about uh, the birth of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 1. It's recorded in two places in scripture, the birth of Christ in Matthew and in Luke. Uh, we're going to uh, focus on Matthew today. So uh, first let's begin with a prayer. Dear Lord, we ask you to slow us down today to hear about your love found in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Fill our hearts with truth and grace and bless us during this Christmas season. For Jesus' sake, amen. Okay, Pastor Billet, so we're, uh, again, depending on when folks are listening to this, we're, we're approaching Christmas. Uh, is your shopping list taken care of? It's closed. <laughs> That's as good as I, I can say. I, I probably should 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 come full disclosure here. We're recording this a little bit before that, so maybe maybe it hasn't started yet. No, uh, I, I don't I, know. I do have a start, which is probably a lot farther than I usually am. All right. So, what's on your Christmas list today, or this year, I should say? Yeah, and I you know I was having a hard time. I my winter boots are like twenty five years old, so I put some new winter boots on my Christmas list. That's all the farther I've gotten. All right. Last year, I recall, our impact guest was Pastor Mike Helwig. You know Pastor Helwig? Yes, I do. And he said socks. (laughs) Socks are good, too. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to put socks on my list this year. Okay, well, uh, enough of that. Uh, Matthew chapter 1. So, folks, we're going to be uh, looking at these uh, verses in Matthew chapter 1. So if you're able to have your Bible out, fantastic. You can follow along with us, starting in verse uh, 18 through the end of the chapter. But before we go there, I want to go backwards just a little bit in this chapter with Pastor Billets, and we'll talk about that uh, genealogy of Jesus, the first uh, 16 verses of this chapter. Folks would say that's some boring reading, but it's important. It's there for a reason, right, Pastor? Can you give us a comment or two on why Matthew begins his book with uh, genealogy? One of my favorite things to remind myself of as I read through the Gospels is the purpose for which each of the Gospels were written. And Matthew's gospel particularly, Matthew as, as 
uh, a tax collector, as someone was very acquainted with uh, Jewish customs, wrote to a primarily Jewish audience. He wrote to his fellow countrymen. And in doing so, he wanted to trace for them that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham. And so his genealogy goes all the way back to Abraham, traced from Abraham uh, to David, and then David to, to Joseph. Uh, Matthew's the gospel of more than any other gospel, it's not even close, who quotes, and I, I believe we'll have a, a comment about this later as well, who quotes extensively from the Old Testament. He's always demonstrating how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. I heard someone describe once that that Matthew's uh, gospel is the expected and unexpected Messiah. That's that's what he's presenting, and so it's expected in the in the sense that the Jewish people knew the Old Testament prophecies and they were looking forward to a Messiah coming. But the Messiah that actually came was unexpected because they were looking for the person who was going to come and restore the glory to Israel that had once been there during the time of David uh, and Solomon, uh, but instead Jesus was coming as, as a savior from sin. All right, I got to put that down in my Bible, the Gospel of Matthew, the expected and the unexpected gospel. Very good. Uh, how about verse 18? Uh, jumping right into that then, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. I'm reading folks from the uh, NIV 84. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. So that's uh, an engagement, I guess we'd call it today. But yet the engagement today is different than the engagement back then. Can you set us straight? Yeah, depending on the translation you use, you might see the word betrothal here too, which is a a more, I suppose, loaded word than the word pledged. Uh, betrothal certainly was was more than just we, we were someday going to get married. Um, and, and it just is difficult when you start comparing marriage customs and engagement customs of today compared to the time uh, of Jesus. Ultimately, the promise was the same. And we want to be people of our word. And so uh, I pray that, that when a young couple makes a promise to each other that they're going to be married when they're engaged, they, they treat it in the same way that, that maybe Mary and Joseph would have. In Mary and Joseph's case, this, this was more than just a hopefully someday we're going to get married. For, mo for, for most of what I've read about marriage customs in Jesus' day, this promise would have been binding. And, and you actually see that a little bit later in the text when Joseph talks about divorcing Mary quietly. He's also referred to as her husband, even though they were not living together as husband and wife. So the promise was already made. There may already have been witnesses to the fact that Mary and Joseph were going to spend the rest of their lives together. What they were waiting for is everything to be ready at Joseph's house for Mary to come and live with him uh, and, and have the relationship that they would have from that point forward. And so they, uh, after the engagement, uh, if it, if it uh, would have been like it was typical for people in those days, you have the engagement. And then, as you said, the, the preparation to come together and live together uh, weeks, maybe months down the road. Right. It, it, oftentimes months even. And then, and then a celebration. Correct. And then, they would, and then Mary would move in yep. with Joseph. And, yep. then, and then at some point, of course, they would consummate the marriage. Correct. Okay. So um, let's move on. And how about this? I, I know this is a, 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 one, of those, one of those questions that I ask uh, because we don't know. We're not told. Uh, any idea how old you think Mary and Joseph were? I really appreciated this question because I can honestly tell you I've probably spent very little time thinking about that in my ministry. 
And partly because if you're going to stand up and preach a sermon on Christmas, you're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about how old Mary and Joseph are, simply because we have, as you said, no scriptural proof to say, well, here's how old they are. I think I remember being told or learning or reading somewhere that probably Mary was young, maybe even a teenager, and Joseph was perhaps a little bit older. Uh, there are some reasons for that that, that might not even be be great when you factor in the whole story. But but part of the reason for Joseph being older that, that I, I recognized or read about uh, in preparation for this is there's a desire on the part of many to keep Mary a virgin for life. And so if Jesus has half-brothers and sisters, which he does according to scripture, there's a desire to make Joseph older so that he has children already before he and Mary get married and therefore all of those children are Joseph's and sort of Mary's adopted children. You can take that for what it's worth. There's also some speculation that if Joseph was ready to start his professional life and maybe put him a little bit older, maybe his apprenticeship had already been served and so he's maybe around 30 years old. Again, the Bible simply doesn't tell us, but uh, they, 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 they were married and it worked. Yeah, good enough. Uh, I want to bring in this verse now because you you uh, kind of opened the door for it by saying there are some that want to keep Mary a virgin her whole life. And what about that verse then at the end of the chapter when it says that uh, Joseph did take Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, which, which uh, infers that after Jesus was born, then they did have sexual relations and have other children. That That's a very fair assessment of that verse, more probably a little bit better, a little bit more to the point of, of having that here is for confidence for you and for me and for every Christian who's ever read the Christmas story to say, God took great pains to let us know that the child that was in Mary was not Joseph's child, but was born of a virgin who was the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, as the scripture clearly teaches. Okay, and let's continue this, I guess, kind of the same talk, uh, because the, the verse continues to say that before they came together, so I guess, you know, we're continuing the sex talk, if you will, right? Before they came together, before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So what, what does that phrase mean? They, yeah, the, uh, to say it as clearly as possible, they had not yet been intimate. There had been no consummation of the marriage. And again, the point is to leave no doubt, no question about the fact that Jesus was true God and true man in the same person, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, not the normal way for a human being to be born. And it becomes important when you start thinking about Jesus' words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, flesh gives birth to flesh. Sinful human beings give birth to sinful human beings. So if Joseph and Mary are the real-life parents of Jesus, Jesus cannot be perfect. He cannot be the Son of God. But as he is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he was born with something that the rest of us have never experienced, and that's no sinful nature. He was not born with uh, this desire to sin as you as you and I are and because of that he could live perfectly in our place. And yet the Bible says he was tempted in every way. Yes. So no no internal temptation if you will but yet he was tempted by Satan in every way. Yes and and yeah read Matthew chapter 4 if you get a chance. Those were some serious temptations, right? And yeah the writer to the Hebrews just as we are yet was without sin. The temptations of Jesus came from the outside uh, because he was 
pure. He was the son of God on the inside as well as being truly human. And this text speaks a lot about Joseph. In fact, uh, we learn the most about Joseph as, as a person from this chapter of Matthew. Not a lot, just, just a little bit to go on, but we, we make some conclusions about him. I've heard him called uh, Jesus' stepfather. I, I guess that's because he's not his birth father, right? Right. Uh, I'm not. I'm not crazy of that phrase for some reason that he's his stepfather, but I guess that's that's a way just to uh, uh, make sure we understand that uh, he is not his birth father. Right, and and I think that maybe is a clearer way to say it, because the stepfather idea can bring with it all kinds of other thoughts. Like maybe Joseph wasn't as invested in raising this son as Mary would have been, and. We don't get that impression at all from Scripture that that he uh, he he did exactly as the angel had told him. He did exactly what what God wanted him to do. And uh, I I I don't picture. And we have one other account, as you alluded to, uh, when Jesus is twelve and he's going to the temple. Joseph appears to be just as concerned about his son as Mary is. Right? There's not a there's not a well, only Mary was concerned about where Jesus was, and Joseph, you know, he was the stepfather, so it wasn't as important to him. Matthew tells us that Mary was with child through the Holy Spirit. And this, of course, is very consistent with uh, the promise that Gabriel gave to Mary that we hear about in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Mary asked Gabriel when Gabriel came to Mary and said, you are going to be the mother of the, of the Messiah, of the Christ child, of, of the Savior, and Mary said, well, how, the, how will this be since I am a virgin? And that's when Gabriel said, and this is in Luke chapter 1, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So what about those words from the angel Gabriel, the Holy Spirit will come on you? Yeah, and it, again, how God accomplished this it is truly one of the great miracles, one of the great mysteries of of. The, the Christmas story and, and think of what we confess in the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and those words just roll off our tongue. And how many times do we stop and say, wait, wh- what happened? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit who who brought Jesus into the womb of Mary to, to later be born, true God and true man. Uh, yeah, that, that is a mind-boggling thing to try and wrap your brain around. And what you did earlier is you attributed uh, Jesus born without a sinful nature to this uh, verse. Yeah, that's what that's why was so necessary for Jesus to be born not in the same way as every other human being is born, but to have this this special characteristics of being both God and man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. All necessary for our salvation Correct. because we need a perfect substitute. Right. Yeah, and and think of just the, again God's wisdom in all of this, and and obviously it, it's God, and so He knows everything. But we needed the perfect substitute who could do that in our place and make it count for the sins of all people. So Jesus had to be true God. On the other side of things, Jesus had to be true man because he had to be brought under the law, to live under the law. And then he had to die. And maybe as remarkable as God becoming human flesh at Christmas is God dying on the cross on Good Friday. And I don't want to fast forward to Good Friday when we're on Christmas. But just, again, seeing that that how God brought that all together so that you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is ours because of what Jesus accomplished. How about we talk about Joseph a little bit more? Uh, the Bible here describes Joseph as a righteous man. In, in what way was 
Joseph Righteous. I, I guess before you answer the question, it, it reminds me a little bit about uh, what, what uh, Moses says about Noah. Yes. In Genesis, that he was a righteous man. Correct. And I wrote the same thing. I have the word Noah on my page too. And, and, and because we know that they're not sinless. That's not the point, that they're righteous in the sense that they never committed any sin. However, the trust of Noah in God, the trust of Joseph in the coming Messiah, that's what made them righteous just like you and I are righteous today. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Same with Joseph. And, and what that demonstrated, how that demonstrated itself in Joseph's life is that he, he knew the law. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was concerned about fulfilling the law, not because he knew that somehow he could earn his own way to heaven, but to respond to the, to the grace that God had given him. And, and you see that play out in the way that he treats Mary. I read this in a commentary, and this made sense to me that we think of Joseph being righteous or Noah being righteous in this way. The direct, and this is a part of what you said, the, the direction in which those men live their lives. Direction, not perfection. I like that. That's really good. What, yeah. I'm, again, just when you see, and I know we might have questions about this coming up, but, but Joseph knows the law about unfaithfulness. And so as he thinks about what he knows about Mary, he knows that, that that's the right action, the course of action. And yet he's still concerned enough about Mary and her reputation and he cares about her that he's going to do it in a very quiet way. And do what he thinks, I guess, is the right thing, Correct. which is another way of right. thinking about yeah. what righteous is. We think about Jesus being our righteousness. Jesus always does the right thing. What Matthew says here is that because Joseph was a righteous man, he had in mind to divorce her, Mary, quietly. What do you think about that plan of Joseph to divorce her quietly? I think it speaks volumes about who Joseph is. Again, I, I, the Bible doesn't go into great detail, but I can, I can empathize with Joseph. Here you've had a promise made to you and you've made a promise to Mary and you're excited about the days that are passing and soon you're going to live together as husband and wife and then you find out that the girl that you're waiting to spend the rest of your life with is pregnant. And Joseph could really only have come to one conclusion. It was somebody else's baby because he knew it wasn't his. And yet Joseph's desire to, maybe at risk of his own reputation, to not tell everybody, hey, this is why Mary and I are getting divorced, but to do it in a quiet manner, uh, to protect Mary as much as possible, demonstrates, first of all, her, his love for her, but then his love for God's law, too, his love for people, like to, to make sure that, that Mary was, that, that the blow that this was going to be to both of them, but to Mary particularly, was going to be as soft as it could possibly land, is, is pretty remarkable when he was the one that was hurt, at least as far as he thought, he thought at that time. Do you think, Pastor, there's, there's something going on here in terms of Joseph doing this quietly? Uh, you, you said to protect Mary because they're living under Jewish law. Correct. And so by the letter of the law, if Mary's guilty of adultery... Now, they'd have to find the other guy, right? Uh, right. The, the, the death penalty kind of overhung her, correct? It, it did, yes. Um, and, and again, that, that thought process that Joseph would have had, how, how horrible this was going to be for Mary's future. And there's not much he probably could have done about it in the end because at some point Mary was going to give birth to a child. But, but at least for now, Joseph said, I'm going to keep this as quiet as possible to protect Mary. 
And so let, let's let's talk just a moment about divorce here, Pastor. It doesn't really fit with Christmas, but it, it does it does fit the text here a little bit, right? Yes. Uh, that's Joseph's plan. He, as you said, he he's left with no other um, uh, conclusion than that she has been unfaithful. So he he wants to divorce her, and isn't that isn't that the grounds that the Bible gives for a biblical divorce is unfaithfulness? Yep, except for marital unfaithfulness, right? Uh, is 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 are the words, and I think we we and I'll maybe just say Christianity has perhaps defined unfaithfulness in its narrowest sense most often. And its narrowest sense would be you have another partner with which you're intimate and therefore you have had an affair or cheated on your spouse, right? And that gives grounds for for divorce. And, and, and certainly that hasn't changed. I think it's always important to note that when two people make a promise to each other, uh, God wants both parties to honor that that promise that's made. I think it's Malachi chapter 2 where God says, I hate divorce, right? Because he knows that even if one of the two partners has grounds for, uh, biblical grounds for divorce, something still went wrong in the marriage. Something still uh, went off the rails from compared to the promises that the two of them made to each other. I think maybe more recently, and, and maybe it's now, uh, you know, a couple, couple decades, we've understood that unfaithfulness can happen in more ways than just finding a, another partner. And maybe it's physical abuse or emotional abuse or even financial abuse that gets repeated over and over again, where one of the two people in the marriage is not being faithful to the vows that they took. Um, that, that, again, that it's not that I'm looking for that as, as a spouse the first time my wife or does something that irritates me or, or hurts me, that that means I go run and make sure that, that you know, well, that's it, the marriage is over. But I think unfaithfulness can happen in sustained uh, abuse in those different ways. And it's not easy. It never is. And, and I, I always, I pray for our couples all the time. I pray for young people who are looking for spouses, uh, that God will bless them with a spouse that, that, that loves them uh, unconditionally, that loves them the way God wants them to, uh, and that is committed to that relationship no, no matter what, because marriage is hard work, as we both know. Yeah, thank you. Well said. And I guess I'll just add this. Uh, where there is divorce, of course, there's sin involved. But that's what we're talking about here today with this baby, right? Jesus came with the forgiveness for all of those sins. Thank you for adding that. So so well said. That that That's exactly right. And that's what I'm privileged to hold out to people, even when life doesn't go the way they want it to. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why we celebrate Easter, because there's your proof that God loves you. So the next word in the text is one of my favorite Bible words, but. So this is, this is after uh, Joseph had made up his mind. This was, this was his plan to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, and I'll stop right there before we talk about what he, what he told Joseph to do. Uh, he addressed him as Joseph, son of David. That's a Matthew thing again, isn't Correct. it? Correct. Yep. The significance of the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus is a descendant from David's line. I heard one pastor say, I'll go so far as to say it was sort of like a, a gentle nudge from the angel to Joseph to say, this is why you're going to be part of this whole thing. Because this is prophecy. This is fulfilling prophecy that Jesus is from David's line. 
And going on with what the angel, this is uh, uh, when, when the angel talked to Mary and Luke, it was the angel Gabriel. Here we're just told it was an angel, an unnamed angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as his wife. Why, why did the angel address Joseph's fear? The idea of fear versus faith, that, that you have, those two things have trouble standing side by side. And Joseph may have been filled with fears, first of all, just what to do with Mary, what, what had happened, what had gone wrong. But now that he's been encouraged to, to take her to, to home to be his wife, what other fears might have come with that? What about Joseph's reputation or Mary's reputation? What would other people think? And the angel's words simply to say, there's a higher pr- plan and a higher purpose to all of this. And that's why you don't need to be afraid. Um, and again, just uh, him taking on this responsibility uh, to, to be the father of, well, Emmanuel, as we're going to see in, in just a few verses. That's such a beautiful phrase that comes up over and over and over again in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Uh, it's so common. There are so many things in our lives that we are afraid of, we're worried about. And as you said it, and I completely agree, uh, fear or worry or doubt doesn't work side by side with faith. It's, it's one or the other. But what I like is what one person once said about that, that idea that... Uh, the Bible uh, continually addresses our fear and says, do not be afraid. And every time the Bible says, do not be afraid, it gives a reason why we should not be afraid. And, and I guess that comes back to the simple answer is because God's in control. Right. Yeah. As you were talking, Isaiah 41 just popped in my head. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. Right? And that's, you're absolutely right. There's always a reason given to, to not fear. God doesn't just say, hey, stop, stop being afraid. But no, 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 remember. Remember what I've promised you and, and what I'm doing for you. Let's finish up here with one more verse and then, and then we'll uh, end today and we'll come back and finish this up next week. So the angel continues with Joseph and says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Before we talk about the name Jesus, Jesus, can you tell me what the angel meant when he said, because this son of yours will save his people, his people from their sins? Who's his people? And initially, I don't think it's wrong to conclude that that his people to someone like Joseph, who's been waiting as a, a Jewish man for the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies to think, that's us. We're, we're his people. We're, we're the chosen nation. But the rest of Scripture makes abundantly clear that his people are everyone. It's you and it's me. And I think about John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The idea that, that we're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's not just descendants of Abraham, but all who believe in, in Jesus, who are the ones for whom Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So as we celebrate Christmas, that's us. We're the people that he came to save from, from sins. Uh, so yeah, I, it's probably like like so often prophecies or words and prophecies are, there's sort of like a double fulfillment to it because certainly he came through the, the, the Israel, the, the nation of Israel. That's the nation that God chose to bring him, bring Jesus into this world. And so 
his people would be the people of Israel. But as I said, the Bible just makes so abundantly clear that it doesn't stop there. Those aren't his only people, but all people are his people. All right, very good. We'll stop there for today. We'll come back here next week, folks, and we'll uh, continue this look at Matthew chapter 1 with Pastor Billets. And we'll start with this question. We'll ask Pastor Billets to tell us about the name Jesus. What does that name mean? So, Pastor Billets, we'll uh, see you again here next week. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. I look forward to it. Let's close with these words from the hymn writer. O Savior, child of Mary, who felt our human woes. O Savior, King of glory, who conquered all our foes. Bring us at last, we pray, to the bright courts of heaven and to the endless day. God be with you. Thank you for listening to Impact, a ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. If you have a question or feedback to share, send an email to impact at saint-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and keep this ministry in your prayers. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The greater you understand scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.